Amen. Blessed be his name. All right, folks. Well, we're going to go ahead and get started here real fast. And uh, this parasha, we're going to kind of pick up from last week. And uh, last week's parasha, we ended up with uh, the Song of Moses, which obviously it's picking up in this week and with the actual song. Last week ended up with saying, write this song, but it really didn't share what the song was. This week, we're picking up with the actual song in itself. Now, what's so interesting about this song, folks, is that I want to share and contrast this song with Exodus 15. Because I think if we contrast those two, we can see something very prophetic in here that the Father is trying to relate to us. But most importantly, we see the revelation of the Mashiach and the purpose, if we want to call it, from the beginning to the end. Reveal all in one song. And this is why in the book of Revelation, it talks about uh, us singing the song of Moses and that of the Lamb. You know, there's been lots of midrash of what this means. What is the song of the Lamb? That maybe it's a song that the Lamb did, that Yeshua did with his disciples that we don't know about. Yeah, it could be. But I like to kind of focus on what actually has been revealed. You know, if there's a hidden song, great. But I believe that um, in understanding the language in which the scripture speaks will help us understand this song. Because the song is very, very clear. So we're going to see really what is it that is about this song that he wants us to what? Give ear, most importantly. So it's got to be that important because he wants us to give ear to this song. So let's open up. First of all, I want to share a little bit of historical uh, facts in here concerning entering this parasha. And the Humash says that this is the song, specifically, of which Moses spoke in the previous chapter. In it, Moses calls heaven and earth to bear witness to the calamities that will befall Israel if it sins. It's very interesting that the opening of this parasha, it calls out to heaven and earth. Why heaven and earth? Witnesses, very good. But it's interesting that it's not necessarily so much about heaven itself, okay, and earth itself, but rather those who dwell in heaven and those who dwell on earth. It's both. Because they are heavenly beings and they are what? Earthly beings as well. So it's both the heavens, yes, at, at itself, and what, who dwells in heaven and the earth as itself and who dwells on the earth. So what I'm basically trying to say is that this is a message that is for everyone, folks, including the heavens, literally, and the earth, literally. So moving on in here, it says, uh, and the ultimate joy that will come with the final redemption, okay? Since the nature of the song is to express recognition of the total harmony of creation, it often mixes the past, present, and future. For everything is revealed to the prophet as a total reality in which there is no conflict. Future and past events are not only in harmony, but they clarify one another. And I thought this was very amazing how the Humash presents this, folks, because... For instance, when you go into the book of, uh, of Chazon, which is the book of Revelation, right? Very popular book. Revelation speaks of past things, present things, and future things as well. Kind of like what Chazal is speaking in here in this song. This song interwines everything from the past, everything that was taking place at that present time, and everything that will take place in the future, folks. Because as he says in here, it all works in harmony with creation, folks. Now, we need to understand this, folks, that the creation, the earth was created, the heavens were created, every being that was created, 
was created to be subject to the Torah. That has to be understood before we even go to the next slide. Because the author of creation is also the one who possesses the Torah. In other words, gravity and all these things that science is trying to prove, uh, and especially in these latter days, confirms the validity of what the Torah actually says. The seven-year rest that we're supposed to give the land every seven years, there's a purpose that comes in, in, uh, in, uh, in agreement with the harmony of creation. We as human beings, we are an extension of that creation as well. This is why the Torah is so important because it goes back to creation. It's not about a legal document and being religious. We're not religious, folks. We are in harmony with creation. We are in harmony with the Creator. We need to understand that. Religion is man-made rules. Don't confuse religion with the Torah, please. Don't even bring it down to that level. The Torah is divine and it affects the harmony of creation. Men's law doesn't. And this is what we need to understand. As an extension of his creation, we've been entrusted to what? To oversee what happens in the earth. This is why man was given dominion over the earth. As an extension of the harmony of creation. Why we keep the Sabbath? Because it comes in agreement what God has set forward for the earth. You see, it's not about, oh, well, I, I'm more pious than you today because I kept the Sabbath. No, you are actually coming in agreement now with the creation, folks. And you help. You know, we have so many environmentalist groups out there to protect the earth. I submit we start a Sabbath environmental group. Because that is truly the reconstitution of the earth. You want to make the earth whole again? You're laughing, but you know it's a good idea. I know you're thinking about it. It's a great idea, right? Because there's so many out there. Oh, we want to protect the earth. We want to clean the earth and save the whales and do all these things. Well, guess what, folks? We come in, come in agreement with the Torah. And this is a good way. If we give the land every seven years of rest and we can actually start doing this, I promise we're going to see results. So this is the, the whole aspect of the Torah, folks, is that it's not a book that is limited to the four corners of the synagogue. It's the book of life. That's why it's called the Echetz Ahaim. It is a book of life, folks. So, continuing here. Thus, everything is melted as if it were all happening at the same time. In other words, this song that Moses wrote, it is a song of past, present, and future, but it's all spoken as if it's happening all at the same time. If that makes any sense. It doesn't. That's okay. Because it's not supposed to because it's a God thing. Not all things are always going to make sense with God. Because we're not there quite yet. So, bless you. So, I want to reiterate real quick the songs. Exodus chapter 15 is commonly known as the song of Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 32 is commonly known also as the song of Moses. So the question is always been for people, believers, which is the song that we have to learn in the book of Revelation? Because it says that we need to learn, learn the song of Moses and of the Lamb. Well, I'm going to submit something to you today, folks. Proof of thought. I believe after seeing this, we're going to see that both songs are one and the same. The Lamb and Moses. Because here's the thing, folks. When, how many times we read in Scripture that you know what throws us off? It's the and. And. 
the Song of Moses and the Lamb. So we treat the Song of Moses separate from the Lamb. You know, we creatures are happy. We love separating everything. We've done that with the Word of God. We had literally broken apart in pieces. It's one word. Why I say this? Because how many times we read in the prophet that it talks about Hashem and his Messiah? Does that mean that the Messiah is an entity separate from Hashem? I'm just saying, food for thought. If we're going to go with that training of thought, we need to cross-examine everything then. That means that Jesus is not really God then. I'm not saying that, guys. I, I believe he is part of Hashem. But it's the way it's worded. Hashem and his word. It doesn't mean that they're separate anymore than the Song of Moses and the Song of the Lamb are separated. So let's see this, why I believe this. Exodus 15, first of all, the song in itself deals with the deliverance of Hashem to Israel. What happened on that day? The great mighty God of Israel judged all the gods of Egypt and gave favor to an entire nation called Israel. And what happened when they crossed over? Well, I didn't put it in here because, again, you can go and read the song yourself. But the song is when Miriam took the tambourine and they all sang the victory. The mighty one who destroyed all the gods of Egypt. Who destroyed the dominion and the powers of Egypt. And the song goes on to saying how much of a great deliverer he is. But if you notice in Exodus 15, it stops there. That's it. It doesn't go any more further than just Hashem is a deliverer. He is the one, the powerful one, the horse and this rider. I mean, it's, it's just giving praise to him. So what happens now in Deuteronomy chapter 32? Well, Deuteronomy 32 song deals with the idolatry they committed after their deliverance. So essentially, Deuteronomy 32 is an extension of this. 40 years later, after the wilderness. Do you know that there's a great message in there? Because you have the deliverance some 40 years before, and then you have a song 40 years after. And what is the message, folks? Well, for one, and I'll share this one today, is that the deliverance of Exodus 15 should not equal idolatry in Deuteronomy chapter 32. I don't see if you see that putting them together. Deliverance. Let me speak your language. Salvation. Salvation does not equal I can walk in idolatry. You've seen the message in here. Because it's a message of before and after, 40 years later. Why are they singing this song of idolatry if they were delivered in Exodus chapter 15? Because like many of us in this generation, we have taken the grace of our Lord God and turned it into what? Lawlessness. The song Hazinu is to remind us to not even conceive in your mind or think that salvation of Hashem, Yeshua, your Messiah, should be a green light to commit idolatry. And we're going to move on with this now so that we can understand what is the emphasis of the song in here. So, Deuteronomy 32 again deals with the idolatry they committed after their deliverance and the rejection, notice in, in the song also, and I'm not going to go through the whole song today, guys. You have to do your part. You need to read it. 
But understand that my focus today is to teach you that salvation and the Messiah, both, because they're all together, was already instituted back in Exodus 15. The concept and the idea of a personal savior as we know it today was understood back here. Nothing different. In other words, when we look at Exodus 15, Deuteronomy 32, in my humble opinion, it's a mirror of us today. That we need to what? Hazinu. We need to give ear. We need to pay attention. Because the mighty one of Israel is speaking through this song. So they rejected their rock. And we're going to understand a little bit more about what is this rock that they rejected. And on top of rejecting, two things happened in Deuteronomy 32. Not only did they rejected the rock, <laughs> really put your thinking caps, not only did they rejected the rock, they rejected his commandments. Two groups in the wilderness that we see. A group that rejects his commandments and a group that rejects the rock. And when we learn about a little bit more about the rock, we can kind of bring that to for us today. How does that relate to us today? So Deuteronomy 32.1, starting real quickly here. Give, give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, he says. And let the earth hear the words of my mouth. It opens up in Hebrew saying, Ha'azinu ha'shamayim. He's calling out, Ha'azinu ha'shamayim ve'adavera. The words. The give ear is the Hebrew word azan, which means to expand, literally. Something that's expanding, something that's brought out. Kind of like your ear. He wants you to broaden your ear, essentially. So that you may really pay attention. And you think it's important what he has to say? I don't know about you folks, but... <laughs> the mitzvot, or the mitzvah, I'm sorry. Mitzvah, to learn this song, the commandment, to learn this song, I believe is both Exodus 15, again, and Deuteronomy 32. But in learning that song, I believe that it's a reminder for us today of what not to do and what to do. That's the purpose of the whole song. What to do and what not to do. So that's why we need to expand and we need to broaden our ear. But believe it or not, Hazan, even though it carries that understanding of broadening something, also carries a deeper meaning and the etymology for this word. And the etymology for this word also means to balance something. In other words... To weigh carefully, to test, to prove something. In other words, uh, your broadening of your ears. As you broaden your ears, you need to test and you need to balance what you're hearing. You're getting this. Because there's a lot of voices out there. What are you doing with all these voices? Are you testing them? Because that's part of Hazan. That's why he says, Ahazinu. Hear my words. Hear my words, he says. Because my words are going to serve to what? To balance, to weigh out carefully, and to test, and to prove whether or not what you're hearing is true. You know, my opinion, folks, we really shouldn't have bad doctrine today. We really shouldn't. Because we have a book of truth. There's no reason for bad doctrine. We only have bad doctrine because we have bad hearts. That's it. It's not because there's a lack of information, in my opinion. I'm sorry. 
How can Hashem write a song this way? And we turn around and tell him, well, you didn't give us enough information, God. But seriously, two, three songs that we find throughout Scripture that relate to one and the same thing, how dare do we say to the Creator, well, uh, you, you still let me confuse, Creator. Mm, I don't think that's going to fly when he's writing a song specifically, even a song for you to remind yourself to that. So let's move on in here. Hazana also means to balance the way out to test and prove. So what is it that we're balancing and testing and proving? Well, 32.2 says, when he says, Hear me, O heavens. Hear the words, O heaven and earth. He says, May my teaching drop as the rain, he says. My speech distill as the dew. Like gentle rain upon the tender grass, he says. And like showers upon the earth. Now, I want to open up real quickly so that you can understand that scripturally speaking, as an analogy and as a metaphor, in the Bible, you are also known as a tender grass and as an earth. So, with that in mind, what is it that the author of this song, who's Moshe, Rabino Moshe, right, is trying to convey to his people? The very first thing that the song opens up is the first coming of the Mashiach. I will submit to you. And we're going to see why. He's saying the very first thing is that I'm going to send my Mashiach to you. Look, let's see this in Hebrew. It says, when it says, um, my teaching drop as rain. In Hebrew it says, Yarof kamatar lichhi, it says. This Yafa oh, is really, really amazing. Because part of the problem that we're having today with the Mashiach is that how can he be God, but yet be a human being? Right? Begs the question. I submit to you folks that in the word Yarof, and what the Talmud says also, by the way, in the Talmud, according to the Talmud, it says that the light of Genesis chapter 1, it says it is the light of Mashiach, it says. According to the Talmud. And according to the Talmud, it says that this light, Hashem took it and hid it under his throne. Up to the appointed time, it says. This is all Jewish writings. According to the Talmud, Satan asked him, what is that light that you're hiding in there? What is the purpose of that light? The writings of the sages goes on to say that Hashem answered Satan telling him, for this light will reverse you and bring you down to nothing, essentially. The Talmud goes on continuing the saying that Hashem sent the light into the world. Very, very amazing because that's what we read in the opening book of Johanan. Uh, the light coming into the world. So this whole coming into the world, even through the sages' books, it's not an idea that's unconceivable. There was an understanding, at least in ancient Judaism, maybe not so much modern Judaism, but ancient Judaism had an understanding that the Mashiach, first of all, they declared that he existed before time. It's number one. And that Hashem hid him under the throne. So he was hidden from men, which collaborates with scripture. Why did they didn't receive him? Because he was hidden. And that he will be sent. This is amazing. So, Yarof, it says, Yarof Machatar Lichi collaborates a little bit. This word, Yarof, when it says, and he sent the rain, means to drop, but listen to this, to drip 
it means the first ring. Keep that in mind. Because in the Torah, it talks about the first ring and the latter ring. And here, the very first opening of this parasha, Rabbeinu Moshe is saying that he is going to send him the first. This doctrine is connected with the first ring. Now let's look at this word for the doctrine. Lichi, my teaching, he says. It's in the present in the in a possessive uh, possessive form. Lichi means to take, to buy something, that which is received essentially. So the very chapter or verse two of this opening of this song has to do with receiving the first rain. The receiving of this first rain. Now we're going to see through scripture how does this connect to the Mashiach? Okay? Because it's important because the song says that my doctrine will fall as rain. And this fall means that he is coming down from the heavens with his teaching. Look. Joel 2.23 gives us a little share of the insight of this. And Joel 2.23 says, And you children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in Hashem, it says. Your Elohim, for he shall give you the teacher of righteousness. Now this is going to blow your mind. Because when you look at this word in the Hebrew, it's going to completely blow your mind. Hopefully. It blew mine. But then again, I'm easy to entertain. So, he shall give you the teacher of righteousness, it says, and cause the rain to come down for you. Job compares the teacher of righteousness with the rain coming down. But that's not really what I want to show you. It says in here, the former rain and the latter rain as before, he says. So in Hebrew, we're going to go back in here. It says, Uvnesion gilu, it says, So let's go back. It's talking about, and you children of Zion, be glad and rejoice in Hashem. Pretty much basically what it's saying. Kinatan, now and here's what it says. Kinatan, and I will give, and he will give Lachem to them the Aleph Taf Ha More. What is a More? The teacher. Who is the teacher of righteousness? Now, Ha More already has a definite article. He's given him the Aleph Taf. Teacher of righteousness. Lizidaka. That's talking about righteousness. Now, what's amazing about this, that really gets interesting, then it says, Vayoret lachem geshen. Geshen more. Do you understand that this word more? Okay? It's the teacher of righteousness right here, more. But in here, more is translated as the early rain. So the early rain is the teacher of righteousness. <laughs> That's why it says Geshem, which is the rain, Geshem more umalchosh, it says, Barishon, as in from the beginning, he says. The teacher of righteousness has the title of the more, which is the early rain. Could this be true? I will submit to you that the first rain came already. And we're waiting for the latter rain. 
Once the first rain comes and the season of Pesach, what is the latter rain? Well, when we conclude Sukkot, we're going to be praying for something. The latter rain, folks. You're getting this. The first coming of the Mashiach, the song opens up by introducing the teacher of righteousness who is going to be sharing his doctrine, who is also a more, a teacher, who is also attributed to the Mashiach himself. Joel points out that this is the Aleph Taf. Look, let me go back in here. And here it says it. He will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain. This word here, the former rain, it's what is titled Geshen More, the teacher of righteousness. It's amazing when you really see this in Hebrew, how the revelation comes out of this early rain. So the very opening of the song has to deal with the first coming of the Messiah and what he is going to be teaching to the people. He wants the rain to come down, but let's go back for a minute. Let me go back here for a minute. I have to share this. My teaching, may my teaching drop as rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass. What is the difference between the rain and the dew? Well, according to what a lot of the writings they say, you can really measure. It's tender. The dew, first of all, is tender. But you cannot measure the amount of water in a dew as you would with the rain. Now, that's according to what most of the sages write about. It is more difficult to try to monitor, if you want to call it, how much water something is getting through the dew as you would with rain. With rain, you can put a cup and you know exactly how much rain you're getting and the amount of water you're getting. With the dew, it's kind of difficult to do. The common denominator on both of these is that the rain that is coming down and or the dew, the rain needs to be comparable to that of the dew. So what is the difference between the, the rain and the dew? The dew is soft and gentle. In other words, the doctrine of the teacher of righteousness at his first coming, the early rain, it's the doctrine that we need to proclaim that needs to be gentle. In other words, we can't go there with a fireman's hose, full power, and give him Torah to the people. You're getting this. Because what happens, many of the, and I love the way that they put this in here, very good translation, the tender grass. It's not fully developed yet. If you run a fireman's hose through that, you're going to kill it. It has to be gentle, misty water so they can receive it a little bit at a time. And as it gets stronger and stronger and it grows, then you give it more water, more forcible water for it to feed. What's happening in the Messianic movement today is that there's a lot of people coming with the fireman hose. And there's a lot of tender grass out there. And we just rain all the tender grass. The force of the water that's coming out through that hose is so strong that even the person who's holding it is going out of control. They don't even know where they're going with it. That's the problem. There's no control. There's no order. And it's killing the grass that's out there. So the message of Yeshua needs to be one who is soft, the first rain came to teach the people the water that is actually from the dew itself. So let's see in here, John 1, 9 through 12. 
the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This is alluding to the first rain coming down from heaven. Where does the water come from when it rains? It comes from heaven down to earth. Symbolic of the Messiah. Where did the Messiah came from? He said, I come from above. So it says in here, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming to the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. I will submit to you that that echoes still today. The world still doesn't know him, even though he is the creator of all things. Now, we can even argue this today. Say, how is it that the world doesn't know him? Well, remember when we started this teaching today? The Hazal teaches in the Humash, through the Humash, says that everything that was created in the order of creation was for a purpose. One way of showing the people that we do not know him is when we violate the very principles that he has established in the Torah for the sake of the earth and for humans. Because if the master creator of all said every seven years give the land rest and you, by the way, your creation, you take every seven days off. When we nullify that, what are we doing? We are not, we're not acknowledging the creator. This is why today, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. How did the world did not know him? Because they were not following his law. It is through the law of God that we show people God. Through the love that the law show us, we show people the love of God. Not our love, the love of God. So it says, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. He came down to his own. The latter, the, the early rain came down to his own people and they did not receive him. Now this goes back to that word that I talked to you about today. Yaref, which also means to receive, I'm, I'm sorry, alichi which means to buy, to receive. Remember? When it says, my doctrine, lichi. They did not lichi. They did not receive the early rain. They did not receive the doctrine of the early rain. You see, these words are amazing because it reveals bits and pieces of what happened through the time of history when the Mashiach came as the early rain. Lichi means that you buy, you take it, you receive it. The, you receive the early rain. That did not receive the early rain. That's the problem. Look. Luke 9.51 says, When the days drew near for him to take, be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans, it says, to make preparations for who? For him, Yeshua. But the people did not what? Lichi. My doctrine. When it says that the people did not receive him, this word here goes back to the word lichi, which is lach, to take something, to receive, to buy it. The idea with lichi is lach, which means you are purchasing something. You're receiving it and you're purchasing it, essentially. They did not receive him. But what does the song tells us to do in the very opening? My doctrine shall fall as rain. In other words, the tone of the song is that we are to receive the doctrine of the early rain, essentially. Look. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. John 5.43 I have come in my Father's name and you do not what? Receive me. Why is it that they didn't receive him, folks? 
I'm going to give you one example as why they didn't receive him. They can, we probably can all associate with this one today. Part of the reason why they didn't receive the early rain, Yeshua, the teacher of righteousness, according to Joel, is because the teacher of righteousness was teaching a doctrine that went against their own sets that has set already. In other words, what the words that the teacher of righteousness was speaking came against their doctrine. This is something that we need to be careful today. Because what is it that we're holding dear to so much? Are we holding dear to righteousness? Or are we holding dear to our own ideas? See, their ideology did not fit in the teachings of Messiah, which gave birth to not receiving him. This is exactly what we're fighting today. Why are we fighting today, by the way? Why are we fighting today? You know, before I became a Christian, I, I, I remember asking my cousin this, because I come from a line of family that are pastors. Like a line, a big line of family that are pastors. And of course, he became a pastor. And then I asked him, and I remember clearly saying this. I asked him, why do you people fight so much? And, and honestly, I, I wasn't being facetious. I really wanted to know generally. I asked him, why do you guys fight so much? If you all believe in Jesus, why are you fighting so much? And then he, go, he went on to explain to me, well, you know, there's different doctrines and different differences about, you know, and all these different things. I, I couldn't remember to the extent, but I do remember asking him. But as I came into this faith, I came to realize that the reason why we're fighting is because we are not receiving the fullness of his word. Separation only comes, folks, when we disagree, sure, naturally, we disagree, we separate. But our separation, folks, needs to be in righteousness. If we're going to separate, because that's going to happen, Yeshua said, I come to what? To bring the sword. I'm coming to divide. What's going to divide? Those who receive him and those who don't receive him will be what? Separated. The thing is that we need to be okay with that. Many of us are not okay with that. And we don't like separation. But to a degree, folks, we, there's going to be separation whether you like it or not. You know, um, we got to be careful that we're not being too much of a respecter of men. Be very careful with that as opposed to standing in truth. But this is what was happening at this point in history. You have people that were being respecters of men. Who was controlling the, the, the Sahedron at that time? The Sadducees who didn't even believe in a resurrection by that means. So you had the Sadducees, you had the Pharisees, I mean, you had all these different doctrines and all these men who were moved by these powers. When the Messiah came and brought the truth, did it create separation? Oh yeah, more ways than others. So receive again. If another one comes in his own name, he says, in his own name, you will receive him, he says. This right here, we have seen many of that. People coming in their own name and people, and people receiving. But yet to be fulfilled, the one who will come in his own name and Israel will receive him. And we know who I'm talking about, the son of perdition. Who will come as a Messiah in his own name. That they will receive. Why? Doctrine. What's in their hearts, folks? 
John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, he says. How many of you love Yeshua? Can I ask that question? You love Yeshua, right? Then what does it mean to love Yeshua? Well, one way, one way, I'm not saying explicitly this is the only way. One way is to keep his commandments. Let's start with that. Then we can do the filler-ins later. But one good way to start is to keep his commandment. Now, if you want to do anything extra after that, that's fine. You know, but the main thing is that we keep his commandments. And that we don't follow idolatry. So, and I, look what he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Believe it or not, folks, you're not alone in this walk. You're not alone. There is a such thing as a helper. And who's the helper? The Holy Spirit. I will give you another helper to be with you forever, he says. Even the spirit of what? Truth, whom the world cannot what? Receive. Why do I keep bringing scriptures with the term receive? Because in this portion, lihi literally means to that which is received. And what we're talking about, Moses is talking about the early rain. The Song of Moses says that we are to receive, essentially, receive the early rain, i.e. the teacher of righteousness. Because neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. Folks, don't try so hard and don't get so frustrated when you can see Yeshua in the relevance of the commandments and somebody else doesn't. I've seen people, their faces turn red and veins pop out of their faces that I didn't even know existed. How is it that they don't see it, Richard, they tell me, and I see it? Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. It's very common. It's not uncommon for people not to see it, folks. I got a better question. Why is it that a lot of the Jews in the first century didn't see him with all the knowledge that they had? That's a good one. I mean, these people spend their life studying. You know, they didn't just take, you know, 10 minutes at the end of the day and study scripture. These men spent hours and hours and hours every single day. How come did they didn't see it? Because, folks, the spirit. The spirit that's in them and not the willingness to want to know the truth. It's about the heart, essentially. It always comes down to the heart, folks. Amen? James 5, 7, 8 says, Be patient, therefore, he says, brothers, unto the coming of the Lord. Why do we have to be patient? <laughs> because you're going to be dealing with a lot of adversity in what you're receiving. You're receiving this light. You're receiving this truth according to Scripture. You're receiving the early rain, and you're receiving the commandments. Both things that we read in, in Revelation chapter 12 that is needed. The testimony of Yeshua and those who keep his commandments. Isn't that what Moses is talking about in this very, very opening of this song? To receive the early rain. It says, be patient therefore, brothers, and to the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. And to, and to uh, being patient. Look what he says in here. He waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives, there's that word again, receives the early and the late rains. See, this is very prophetic because, you see, there was a bunch of farmers, prophetically speaking, who were waiting for the early rain back in the first century. 
Notice that I said prophetically. The farmers, prophetically, is those disciples of his who were waiting for the Messiah. They were patiently waiting from the beginning of Adam through the generations of Noah, all that lineage, generation in and generation out. They were what? Patiently waiting for the early rain. But, look at this. You also have to be patient not just for the early rain, but also for the late rains. Now here is the second batch from the time of Christ to now. We're in the same boat, you realize that. When Christ came, how many thousands of years from creation? And we're thinking, oh my God, it's been 2,000 years. Well, how long did they have to wait? From the creation of time, which by the way, it was already prophesied that a deliverer will come. They were waiting for this deliverer for thousands of years. Nothing new under the sun, folks. Nothing new. Now, here we are, this generation today, from the time of Christ on, this generation waiting for the later rain. But the good news is that we should be partaking of the early rain. We should be still partaking of the fruit and the waters of the early rain, the doctrine of the early rain. It says in here, you also be patient, establish your hearts, it says, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. He's basically saying, quit your whining, stop looking at the clock and see whether I'm coming tomorrow or not, and establish your hearts instead. You know, those ones, those doomsdayers are always looking outside, okay, when is he coming? Maybe today, maybe tomorrow? Yet they fail to realize that your job now is not to figure out when he's going to come, but rather to establish your heart so when he does come, you're ready. How about that? That's the whole thing. We're cultivating and we're ready for the latter rain. Because guess what? The latter rain is not going to be like the first rain. The first rain is misty and nice. The latter rain, what happens? Comes strong. It's powerful. So that's why he says, establish your hearts because that latter rain is going to come like a flood of Noah. It's going to come strong. And you need to be ready. Amen? So now we're going to uh, go ahead and talk about a little bit about the rock of the wilderness because the song expounds a lot on this rock. They fought, you know, the, the, the rock that they need to take a hold of and all these different things. Exactly what it is that Rabbeinu Moshe is talking about when he says about the rock. And let's see it here. Deuteronomy 32, 4 and 6 says, the rock, he says. Now that we establish that the early rain needs to come and we see that this is uh, the Tanakh puts the label as the teacher of righteousness. Now it goes on to talk about this rock. It says, the rock, his word is perfect, it says. I don't know if you notice that there's something wrong with this. It says, the rock, his word is perfect. It's speaking of the rock, if this is a person. One did you ever look at a rock and call it you are perfect in everything that you do or the rock? So if you do, you may eat a little bit too much mushrooms. So there's something more to be said about this. This rock, it's not just or any ordinary rock, it's personal. Look, it says the rock, his word is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemish, it says. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Now the song is taking a twist. This song is no longer about victory now. 
this psalm now is turning into a rebuke rather than a victory. Look. Deuteronomy 32, continuing here. Do you, uh, do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you, Moshe says in the song? Now, let's pause for a minute. Because as Messianic believers, believers in Yeshua, when I talk about Messianic specifically, we believe with our hearts that Yeshua is the maker of all. Or at least that's what we proclaim, right? Jesus made all things. Right? Okay. Well, it says in here in the song that this rock is also the rock that created them and that established them and made them. So which one is it? That Jesus created us or that God created us? Talk about that later. Right? Let's get confused now. No confusion, folks. When you know Torah, there's no confusion. Just like the song of Moshe and the song of the Lamb are one and the same. Why are we so confused? What part of our God is what? One do we not understand. Look. Hirsch Humash says this. According to our sages in the Sifre, the word Zur, because that is the Hebrew word for rock used in here. Now, exclusively in the Tanakh, this word is not always used for rock. You got Selah, which is another term that is used for a rock as well. And there's some other couple of terminologies that the Torah uses in Hebrew that deal with rock. But Zur is one of the most common ones that we're going to find that means they're rock. So he says, According to our sages in the Sifred, the term Zud contains a dual idea, I says. The one who is strong, he says, and the one who forms and shapes. So the word Zud, the rock, specifically is the one who is strong and the one who shapes you and the one who forms you, essentially. Look, Psalms 95.1 says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord, right? Let us make a joyful noise to who? The rock of our salvation. Now in Hebrew it says, Lehu Neranana Le Nariah. Now it says, Letzur Yeshuanu. Yeshua as the Zur. Yeshua as the rock. Because didn't he create us? It says that through the word of Hashem. All things were created. That word, I submit to you, is also the arm of Hashem. Do you guys know what the arm of Hashem means in Hebrew? Literally? In Hebrew, the arm means the zera. A zera is the seed. Interesting. It's not an arm. It's the seed of Hashem. Which we know seed, like seeds. You're planting seeds. Seed, singular. The seed of Hashem. We know that that seed is Yeshua. <laughs> amazing. Titles are amazing in Hebrew. And how they all go back to the Mashiach. So not to deviate and go on a bunny trail here. But let's continue in the, in the context that we're talking about. Today we're not talking about the seed of, of Hashem. We're talking about the Zud of Hashem. The rock. One of the problems that we have today is that we have a problem with titles. If it's more than one title, it's got to be another person. 
in our mindset today. But I will submit to you that God has so many titles, folks. So many titles. That I don't think we can keep up with all of them. He has so many titles that it says that when he returns, we're not even going to know his name. That's how many titles he has. So here's what we need to understand. That this Letzur Yeshunu is talking about the salvation. The Yeshua, the rock of Yeshua. Look, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 4 says this. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were, were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses and the cloud and the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock is what? Or was who? Messiah. A literally bold answer coming from a rabbi, Shaul, which was a rabbi's of rabbis, very intellectual, very knowledgeable in the word, and speaking in here prophetically and metaphorically speaking, as the rabbis do, connecting the rock and the wilderness that followed them for 40 years, the Messiah. Do you understand the in-depth of this, folks? A 40-year journey when they got delivered and now all of a sudden this rock follows them through the wilderness? It is through the rock that they receive water, which produces life. It is the rock that also Moshe struck. That scripture says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will what? Scatter. Look, with this information now, especially now from a very good source in scripture, from a very good source uh, a rabbi, which is Shaul, we can understand now that this rock that this song is talking about correlates with the Messiah and also correlates with the first rain as well. First, first Peter 2, 7 and 8 says, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that, has, that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Now, what was the purpose of the song? This purpose of the song was to teach Israel what? The sins that they committed by not accepting the first rain and by rejecting the rock that fathered them. Symbolically speaking, one and the same, folks. One and the same. He's not only our creator, but he is our Messiah. He's also known as a heavenly husband. And the list goes on and on. So in here it says that they stumble. But why did they stumble? Because they disobeyed the word. Remember what this song started with? My doctrine, my teaching will come down. They disobey that teaching. That's the reason why Deuteronomy 32 exists. That's the reason why in the book of Revelation it says that we are going to remember this. Because it serves as a witness for us today. Both the heavens and the earth declare witnesses, but also this song serves as a witness as well. Look, Daniel 2, 34 through 45, folks, and I'm going to end with this because I want to compare something in here. And this Daniel, it shares everything right here. Verses 34 through 45 recaps all the song in Deuteronomy 32. Look, it says, you were looking on until a stone 
okay? Comparable that to a rock as well. Was cut out without hands. And it smote the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. So let's pause there. That's the, uh, the dream in here that Nebuchadnezzar had is this stone was cut off from this mountain, this rock. And this rock literally went and smote the image of the feet of iron and the clay that Nebuchadnezzar had uh, built. Then the iron, or at least in his dream, then the iron and the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind took them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain, it says, and filled all the earth, it says. This was the dream, he says. Now, I will tell the king its interpretation. This rock that was cut off is going to shatter, essentially. And now he's going he's gonna to relay the interpretation of this dream. He says, You, king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given whatever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of the gold, he says, speaking to Nebuchadnezzar. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, Strong as iron, he says, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these, he says. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly potter's clay and partly iron, it shall be divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so, said, uh, so they will mix together one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. I believe that we're living that time right now, folks. We live in a time where we are mixing. I mean... The world, this kingdom has become a kingdom that it has mixed completely. If there's ever been a time, it's now. We're seeing interfaith and intermarriages like you wouldn't believe out there. We are a mixed generation today in every single country that we go to. I believe the prophecy of Daniel, we're living it right now. But let's continue on in here. And in the days of those kings, he says, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break into pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. The rock that followed them in the wilderness. The rock that Moses talked about in this song. The rock that Peter says has become essentially their cornerstone. It is the rock that's going to destroy all these kingdoms, folks. And that rock is your Messiah. It's amazing. 
Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, it says, and that it broke the pieces, the iron, and the bronze, and the clay, and the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king that what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation is true. And I want to leave you with this to understand, folks, that we are coming into that time in this season. I believe we're living in the fourth kingdom. I believe that the rock, folks, is going to shadow all these kingdoms. And for that reason, the song reiterates to us to make us understand that we need to teshuvah and return back. The ending of the song has to do with Israel's repentance, by the way. So it's not all bad. But it does cover the victory of Exodus 15, the trials that they will go through, through the galut, to the exile, and then the what? The return of Israel back to its maker. This is, in a nutshell, the entirety of the song, the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. And why are we to memorize it? Why are we to learn it, he says? Or rather, I'm asking. Because it serves as a witness to us today, folks. When we go out there and people speak these smooth words to you, they advocate what? Lawlessness. They advocate getting away with Moses. Folks, that we are to remember Deuteronomy chapter 32 song and the song of the Lamb in Moses, Exodus 15. And the song in Revelation, which is going to serve as a witness against us. So let's stand st uh, strong in the song, folks. Live the song so that we, we may return to the land. Amen. So when I was reading this song today, uh, uh, this week, I was picking out themes throughout the song. And I saw three really major themes, and I'm going to touch on two of those. But, but after I did that, as I was doing my studying, um, I always like to see what some of the other websites say. So of course, I went to OU.org. Um, and my favorite rabbi there, Rabbi uh, Rothstein, writes, um, verses 1 through 3, David is writing that God is his protection, emphasizing the stability of God's protection. Verses 4 through 7, he says, when I call out to God, he responds so that I can praise him. When I am surrounded by troubles, including the threat of death, God saves me. Verses 8 through 16, he writes, he comes down to save me, and the whole world is turned upside down with darkness, high waves, fire, lightning, all of them fearsome. Verses 17 through 20 say, God saves me from stronger enemies, from water disasters. At the end of verse 20, David says, it is because God is happy with me, which leads into the next section, a description of his merits. David then lists in verses 21 through 24, how he keeps God's ways. Verses 25 through 28, he writes, God repays good and evil, rewarding David also on a personal and a national level. Verses 29 through 30, he says, God is my light. With his help, I can chase a whole battalion. Verses 31 through 49, David writes, God is generally powerful. With the end, returning to how God helps defeat and destroy David's enemies. And then finally, in closing, David therefore thanks, gives his thanks to God. The three sections that I'm going to talk about, the first one, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna read it right here. Uh, say, well, actually, let, let, me get, let me do this little inter introduction really quick. Second Samuel, uh, the, ver the first verse says, Then David spoke to Hashem the words of this song on the day when Hashem had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Shaul. It was interesting when I read, when I looked at the Hebrew, 
It says, Vaidaver David, uh, that Hashem shouldn't be there. Wonderful typo. Um, et divrei hashira, which literally has a meaning of, and David spoke the et words of this song. That word et divrei comes from the Hebrew word davar, which means word. But in this particular vo uh, form, the word divrei demonstrates that these words are of someone or something else. Right? These aren't David's own words. They're the words of this song. They are the words of the song in this case, but also they are the words of the Messiah as they're preceded by the Aleph Tav. So we can see the Aleph Tav right here before the divrei. So these are words that are given to him by the Spirit in order to sing praises to the Messiah and to the Hashem. And now we begin. He said, Hashem is my rock and my stronghold and my deliverer. My Elohim is my rock. I take refuge in him, my shield and the horn of my deliverance, my high tower and my refuge, my savior. You saved me from violence. We're going to talk about him being the rock. No, not that rock. That's the wrong rock. But he looks like he's excited, right? Oh, you're going to talk about me. No, sorry, rock, not you. Deuteronomy 32.4 brings us right back to the song in Deuteronomy. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are right ruling. And El, a God of truth and without unrighteousness, righteous and straight is he. Psalm 71.3 comes into agreement. He says, be to me a rock to dwell in, to go into continually. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my stronghold. Isn't a rock a place of safety? behind which we can, we can take refuge. John 15, 4 and 5 says, Stay in me and I in you. So we get to dwell in him. As long as we dwell in him, then he stays in, in us. And as the branch is unable to bear fruit of itself unless it stays in the vine, so neither you unless you stay in me. So there we are. We need to stay in him. And we do that by continually studying his Torah. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who stays in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. Because without me, you are, uh, you are able to do nothing. So as David was saying, I can dwell in you because you are my stronghold, my refuge. And he is the one to whom we will turn anytime we go through our struggles. Second Samuel 22.32 says, For who is El besides Hashem? And who is a rock besides our Elohim? Going along the lines of the rock. Okay. Well, that harkens back to Deuteronomy 31 and 39. Where he says, for their rock is not like our rock. Even our enemies are judges. See now that I, I am he and there is no Elohim besides me. I put to death and I make alive. I have wounded and I heal. And from my hand, no one delivers. Well, that goes back to our Torah portion last week. Two weeks ago where he says, no one can snatch you away from me if I have my hand on you. Isaiah 45, 21 and 22 says, Declare and bring near, let them even take counsel together. Who has announced his, this from of old? Who has declared it from that time? Is it not I, Hashem? And there is no mighty one besides me, a righteous God, an El, and a Savior. There is none besides me. So Isaiah is com confirming that there is only one God. We don't have a Godhead. We don't have thousands of gods. We don't have millions of gods. We have one God. He is the Almighty. He is above all else. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am El and there is no one else. All corners of the earth should be turning to him 
for his salvation. Samuel, uh, 2 Samuel 22:47 says, Hashem lives. Blessed is my rock and exalted is my Elohim, the rock of my deliverance. So here David's writing that this is a living rock. This rock is alive. Do you know any rocks that are alive? For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living Elohim speaking from the midst of the fire as we have and does live? Here Moshe is recounting the story being at the base of the Mount Sinai and reminding the people that this is what they said at the time. Who of all of the flesh on earth has ever heard the words of the living Elohim speaking from the midst of the fire and lives? And yet the whole nation heard his voice and they lived. That should be our desire. We should be seeking to hear his voice and to see his face. Job 19.25 says, For I know that my Redeemer lives because he's a living God. And as the last shall rise over the dust, well, Yeshua said, I am the first and the last. I am the Aleph and the Tav. Well, he was the first to be created. And if everything else disappeared, he would be the last one remaining. But blessed be his name that he doesn't want to be the last one. He wants people to dwell with him. People who love him, people that he loves. 1 Peter 2, 1 and 5. Having put aside then all evil and all deceit and hypocrisies and evil envies and all evil words, as newborn babes, desire the unadulterated milk of the word in order that you grow by it. If indeed you have tasted that the master is good. Well, now we can't just come to the master and keep doing our evil and deceiving and being hypocrites and envying and speaking evil words. As children do, we're supposed to grow up. We're supposed to be mature. Drawing near to him a living stone. There's that living stone again, that living rock. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by Elohim and precious, you also as living stones. Oh, so now we also see that not only is he a living stone, but we get to be living stones. Erected by him and held up by the faith that we hold so tightly. You are being built up, a spiritual house, a set-apart priesthood to offer up spiritual slaughter of offerings acceptable to Elohim through Yeshua Messiah. That's the rock we're talking about. That's the rock from which water came, not once, but twice. Exodus 17.6 says, See, I am standing before you there on the rock in Horeb, Hashem speaking to Moshe, and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it, and the people shall drink. And Moshe did so before the eyes of the elders of Israel. And yet we read again in Numbers 20, verse 8, Take the rod and assemble the congregation, you and your brother, Aharon, and you shall speak to the rock before their eyes, and it shall give its water. So twice in the Torah we see the rock, and we see water being brought from it. First by striking, which is what we did when he was here the first time we struck him. And then by speaking to it, which is what we do now. He gives us that living water by which we no longer need to thirst, by which we grow. He says, you shall bring water for them out of the rock and give drink to the congregation and their livestock. I think we read this today in our Torah portion. 1 Corinthians 10.4 And all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed and the rock was Messiah. That rock that followed them throughout their experience in the wilderness that gave them the spiritual water that they needed to, to live and to survive was our Messiah. He is the rock. 
John 4, 10 through 14 says, Yeshua answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of Elohim and who it is who says to you, Give me to drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Can you imagine being this woman at the well, standing before the Messiah, not realizing that he is the Messiah and him speaking to you? If you knew who you were standing before, you would ask me and I would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Master, you have no vessel, and the well is deep. Where then do you have living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Yeshua answered and said to her, Everyone drinking of this water shall thirst again. And I don't know about you, but at the end of the day on Wednesday, I was pretty thirsty. I'd been fasting for 24 hours, and I was thirsty but not for his water. I was thirsty f for the water that comes out of the tap, out of the well, the same water she's speaking of. Whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall certainly never thirst. The water that I give him shall be in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And isn't that what that water brings to us? It is cool. It is refreshing. It refreshes our soul and our spirit. And it brings us that everlasting life but we need to stay in his word in order to continue receiving it. John 7, 37 through 39, on the last day, the great day of the festival, everybody ought to know what day that is, the last great day. Yeshua stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me, and, and let him who believes in me drink. As the scripture said, out of his innermost shall flow rivers of living water. And this he said concerning the spirit, which those believing in him were about to receive for the set-apart spirit was not yet given because Yeshua was not yet esteemed. So there we read that that living water that resides in us, that over, comes to overflowing, that will then flow out of us into those around us, giving them nourishment, is words that are given to us by the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah 17, 13 says, O Hashem, the expectation of Israel, all who forsake you are put to shame. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken Hashem, the fountain of living water. Now, Yeshua, he's the rock. Is he a, our cornerstone or is he a stone of stumbling to us? Isaiah 8, 13 through 15. Hashem of hosts, him you shall set apart. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. And he shall be for a set apart place but a stone of stumbling and a rock that makes for falling to both the houses of Israel as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, And many among them shall stumble and fall and be broken, snared, and taken. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Chief cornerstone of what? The faith? Because he is the word that has been made flesh? And yet, because, as Richard said today, his doctrine was so different than the doctrine that they had established for themselves, they stumbled at his words. They rejected him. This was from Hashem. It is marvelous in our eyes. Do you know Yeshua quoted this? Matthew 21, 42 and 44. Yeshua said to them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was from Hashem, and it is marvelous in our eyes. 
because of this I say to you, the reign of Elohim shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits of it. They thought that they had righteousness. They thought that they had everlasting life because they found it in the Scriptures. But they refused to believe in the one that the Scriptures spoke about when he came to them to correct them and to get them on the right path. And he who falls on this stone shall be broken. I fell on that stone. I was broken. I was broken to pieces, dashed, pulverized, if you will. And yet, because of it, because of that brokenness, he healed me and he brought me around to the truth. But on whomever it falls, he shall be pulverized. You don't want that rock to fall on you. There won't be anything left. The second thing I wanted to talk about, the second theme that I saw here, was that we get a reward according to our deeds. It's not just by belief, as some doctrines would, ha would have you believe falsely. 2 Samuel 21-28 says, Hashem rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, He repaid me. For I have guarded the ways of Hashem and have not acted wrongly against my Elohim. For all His right rulings are before me. As for his laws, I do not turn from them. I am perfect before him and I guard myself from my crookedness. I am perfect before him. That is fulfillment of a commandment. We are commanded to be perfect for he is perfect. And Hashem repays me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness. I think I read that. Nope. It's, it's just a repeat. Sorry. With the lovingly committed ones, you show yourself lovingly committed. With the perfect one, you show yourself perfect. With the clean, you show yourself clean. And with the crooked, you show yourself twisted. I remember in my life before knowing him, I didn't like his ways. I didn't want to have anything to do with his ways. I believed that there was a God, but he wasn't for me. And I think I even spoke those words to a few people. Yeah, I believe there's a God. I just don't think he's for me. Uh, guess what? He turned that around. He showed me I need him. For you save the humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. And doesn't he do that to those who are haughty? I was arrogant in my beliefs that I didn't need him, and he brought me low in order to realize that I do. Psalm 62.12 says, Lovingly commit, loving commitment is yours, O Hashem, for you reward each one according to his work. Well, that sure tells me that it's not just by belief. It has to do with our deeds. I can't just believe and have a free ticket. Romans 2, 5-8 through 8 says, But according to your hardness and your unrepentant heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of Elohim who shall render to each one according to his works. Everlasting life to those who by persistence in good work seek for esteem and respect and incorruptibility. So we need to be working towards righteousness in order to have esteem and respect and incorruptibility. Well, what is incorruptibility? That is the immortal body that we get when we are either brought back or are changed in the, in the instant, in the, in the blinking of an eye. But wrath and displeasure to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. 
2 Corinthians 5.10 comes into agreement. We, have all, we all have to appear before the judgment seat of Messiah in order for each one to receive according to what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So what are we doing? What deeds are we performing? Are we obeying or are we disobeying? Because obedience is what is good. And disobedience is what is evil. 1 Peter 1.17 says, If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, pass the time of your sojourning in fear. Without partiality judges according to each one's work, not these people's works and these people's belief. It is all by works. It is all how we treat one another. It is all in obedience to his Torah. Revelation 20, 12 through 13 says, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before the throne, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from what was written in the books according to their works. So he's writing down everything we do. Maybe he's got a videotape. Maybe he's got a video camera. Maybe it's digital. No. Something tells me it's not digital. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Sheol gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. So it is by our works that we will each be judged when we stand before him. And guess what? You don't get to give a defense. You are there to be sentenced. Now is the time. Now is the time to learn. Now is the time to have the practice to have the rehearsals. This is our rock. He is the one who, who, who gave a sermon from a mount. This is our rock. He is the one who put in their place those who came against him and against someone else and he called her to repentance. This is our rock who can overcome all things in this world. 2 Samuel 22, 50-51, David ends with, Therefore I give thanks to you, O Hashem, among the nations, and I sing praise to your name among the nations. What do you think that means? Right here in this assembly, with like believers, like-minded, or out there among those who don't believe? Therefore I give thanks to you, O Hashem, among the nations, and I sing praise to your name. We should be singing his praises in front of all who will listen so that they see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. A tower of deliverance is he to his king in showing loving commitment to his anointed, to David and his seed forever because Yeshua will be the, the seed who takes the, the throne for all eternity. That's your half Torah. All right, folks. We're going to cover the Idrash today. I'm the guest speaker, by the way. <laughs> but the reality is that this, uh, what I want to ask you guys is this, folks. And I kind of talking with Miss Carrie today, brought this to mind. Would you agree that we live in a disorderly world today? 
Yes. I told you it's going to be yes. Yes. But I will submit to you, we live in an orderly world. You want to know why? I'll tell you after the teaching. Okay? Because this is important to know, folks. What is the purpose of this psalm that Moses proclaimed today? What is the purpose of the psalm that David sung on 2 Samuel 22? What is the purpose of the song, again, that we are going to be singing in the book of Revelation yet at a time to come? What is the purpose of all these songs, folks? We keep hearing of the songs. The purpose, folks, we're going to find out. It's right here. This Idrash opens up with this chapter right here. And it says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? True? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? But better yet, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. The theme in here for the song of Moses, for the song in 2 Samuel, for the song that we're going to sing in the latter days yet to come, it's about the gospel. You see, the problem today is that we see the gospel as a New Testament concept, but the reality is that the gospel was preached, rather, we heard it in a song today. You didn't hear the song today? I heard the song. I read the song. The song, it's about the beginning, the current, and the future. All put together in a timeline that we cannot even fathom at this point. The gospel, folks, is what Moshe was relating to the people in Deuteronomy chapter 32. Let's look at this. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, how are we tying in the gospel to the song of the Lamb and Moshe? Well, what is the song of the Lamb and Moshe? We talked a little bit about today, right? Redemption, following by what? Exile, following by what? Return. Now, I want you to keep that in mind. Because I'm going to ask the question again at the end, or rather give you the answer to the question that we proposed when we started this teaching. Do we live in an orderly world or disorderly world? Look, let's look at this. The gospel, going back in here, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? What is the good news? And all honestly, it's known as the good news, not necessarily the gospel, but the good news. Look, and the Greek is. Eugelizo. Going back to the root words of if evangelio. That means to announce the good news, to evangelize, especially the gospel, to declare the tidings, to preach the good news, folks. Now, how am I going to go out there today and preach the good news? 
first of all, in order to preach the good news, we need to know what the good news is. True? How are we going to go preach the good news if we don't have a concept what the good news is? Is the good news is that we can now walk in lawlessness? Is the good news now is that our eating menu has opened up the pork now? Is the good news means that now we can pretty much celebrate any feast we want now? Well, what is the good news then? In order to understand what Romans 10 is going into and tying into Deuteronomy chapter 32, remember what I said in the teaching today? Two songs, Exodus 15, Deuteronomy 32. One establishing what? Redemption. And the other one establishing the history after that redemption. True? What is the history after that redemption that they fell into idolatry? So wait a minute now. The good news cannot be that. The good news cannot be that we can just do whatever we want. It can't because it doesn't testify to the song. It doesn't testify to Deuteronomy 32. It doesn't testify to Samuel, 2 Samuel 22. And it certainly doesn't testify to what? To Revelation chapter 12. So let's see this. Since this word in here, it means to announce the good news. Okay? That means that this good news is not really new. It's an old news. But it's still good. It's old, but it's good. Kind of like wine. The older the better, right? So it's old, but it's really, really good. It gets sweeter. Let's look at this, folks. First and foremost, we're going to see this going to Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, 8 and 9 says, And the scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by what? Faith. Preach the gospel to whom? Beforehand to Abraham. Saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The good news, and for the sake of understanding the terminology that we're coming to know, I'm not going to call it the good news. I'm going to call it the gospel. The gospel was already preached to Abraham. And I will submit to you that that gospel that was preached to Abraham already, guess what? Moses knew about it. But even better yet than Moses knowing about it. Moses and an entire nation experienced the gospel. Very much so like hopefully a lot of you are experiencing the gospel as we speak. Hopefully. Look. And the scripture foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. It says that the scripture already have declared that the Gentiles will be what? Just about, be justified by what? By faith. The scripture says, which one did Apostle Paul was talking about? Was he talking about his own letters? Ephesians, Mark? Well, not Mark, that's the gospel. Was he talking about the gospels? Was he talking about what James wrote? So, the Tanakh, as we commonly know, the Old Testament already had declared that the Gentiles will be what? Justified by faith. Where? Where does it say that in the Tanakh, the Old Testament? We've got to go back here because he's giving you where? He's giving you a starting point of reference. He's taking us back to Abraham, who, by the way, knew the gospel. Right? 
So let's go back to Abraham. You see, whenever we read the New Testament, folks, and it gives us a quotation of the Old, let's go back to the Old and revisit it so we can understand what the author is talking about. So let's, let's travel back now. We're here approximately close to the first century, right? So now let's go back to Abraham's day. Let's take their airplane now. We're going to go back in the, not the airplane, the time machine. Back to Abraham now. Now we're back in Genesis 12, 1 and 3. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, he says. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, he says. I will bless those who bless you and, in, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Isn't that what we just read in Galatians? So Paul is talking about this event right here. This one specifically. So what exactly did Hashem met when he told Abraham that in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed? Let's look at this, folks. Because this ties into the song. Hershomar says, every nation unites through a common land. People live together under the same influences and conditions, and the same earth bears them all. Abraham's descendant, too, will become a nation not through a common land, however, but only through God. So either we're bound together by our, our society values and land, etc., etc., common beliefs, ideologies, bind people together. But he's saying in Abraham, it's not going to be so. It will be God himself that will unite these people. Okay? Abraham, now listen to what it says in here. Abraham's spirit will live on his descendants. What a common land is to other nations, your spirit will be to your descendants. They will inherit from you the uniting elements forms the nation. In other words, it is the spirit that Abraham carried that's going to be carried on now to these people who essentially is going to bind them together as one people. In other words, there's no decrees in here that you're going to make, no pledges or anything. It's not common land. It's not the gold and the silver, but rather our faith and our belief in the spirit that each and one of us carries. Whether Jew or Gentile. Look. Moving on again. Yakut Shimoni 1176 says this. Very, very interesting uh, reading. Really like his writings. It says, once there was a king. He puts a parable here. It says, once there was a king who sought to build a palace. He began to dig, going further down to lay a foundation, but he found only swampy soil. Oy, boy, only, only if we can find swampy soil. <laughs> but you know what? Reading this actually kind of brought things to my mind that I'm thinking about. I want to talk to builders today. <laughs> Look what it says in here. It says, and so it was in many places. So the king kept looking to build, and every time he would dig, it was just too easy. It was just, you get swampy soil. It's just soft, right? So he was not able to build until he dug in one place, and there he found a bedrock. Thus he said, I am building and placing a foundation here, he says. Now that is the last place on earth that I would want to build. And a bedrock, because we got plenty of them in here. But it seems like the thinking 
uh, this writer and this author who wrote the parable is differently. He's saying building on the bedrock, at least for this case, is a good thing. I'm not necessarily saying that this is good for every construction. So look what he says. Thus he said, I am building and placing a foundation here, and he built. So too the Holy One, blessed be he, sought to create the world, he says. He was sitting and scrutinizing the generation of Enoch and the generation of the flood. And he said, why should I create the world and let those wicked men arise and vex me? But when the Holy One, blessed be he, saw Abraham arise in the future, he said, behold, I have found a rock to build upon. You know what this brings me back to? It brings me back to what Yeshua said to Peter. That now you will be called Kepha. And on this rock, I will build my church. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? This is kind of like reverse saying that Hashem basically said the same thing, essentially. He found one descendant who was worthy. See, we think of ourselves as not worthy, but God thinks differently. I, I think that we're more critical with ourselves than God is. Because even Yeshua saw Peter as worthy. Yet, Peter denied him three times. And cowardly ran off. I'm just saying. So let's continue here. Behold, I have found a rock to build upon and to lay a foundation of the world. Thus, he called Abraham the rock. As it says in Isaiah 51, 1 and 2, Look to the rock which you were home. Shadows of Messiah actually took this to a whole different level. I thought it was very interesting. It says in here, did God really create the entire world only for the sake of Abraham? It's a question. Because it almost seems like that's sacrilege. Really? So, it says in here, for the sake of Abraham's seed, the Messiah. Now, it's interesting because the rabbis write that the entire creation was created for the sake of the Messiah. So, it says in here, for the sake of Abraham seeing the Messiah, he brought the whole world into being. During the Talmudic era, the great academies in Babylon agreed that God created the world only on the merit of one righteous man. But they argue over which righteous man that was. So even in Babylon, they were discussing and arguing that God created the entire world for the sake of one person. And we know who that person was. It wasn't Abraham, it was Yeshua. The seed of Abraham, but he still had to come to that seed. Now, this ties into the gospel, the Besorah. Let's see this. God chose Abraham out of the seed of humanity 2,000 years before the birth of Yeshua. He chose him to be the father of the Jewish people and the father of the line of Messiah. This explains why the Messiah is called the son of Abraham. If you guys read in the gospel, it says that he is the son of Abraham. But he's also known as the son of David. So which one is it? You know, again, both one and the same, folks, because it is the same lineage. Abraham was a servant, which is talking about the Mashiach ben Yosef, the suffering servant. David, through the same lineage, comes from a what? A divinic king. It's talking about the kingship. Two functions, same, same purpose. So look, let's move on in here. Galatians 3, 15, 16 says, Brothers, as a man I say it, a covenant, even though it is man's, yet if it is confirmed, no one sets it aside or adds to it. Even Apostle Paul here is, is elaborating 
that once a covenant is established, you can't add or take away from it. By the way, he's saying that this is, even though it is man's. He is talking about even man's covenant. That's the way it should be. When we give a covenant, we can't add to that covenant or take away from that covenant, folks. He's saying from a man's point of view, this is, uh, at, the end, at the end of the day, this doesn't even make sense. We cannot add it. Imagine how much more God when he establishes a covenant. So look. But the promise were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say into seeds as of many, but as one. And that seed is who? The Messiah himself. Now we're going to tie this in to what this Idrash opens up in Romans chapter uh, 10. And what is the opening of chapter 10? Well, it opens up with this right here. The gospel, folks. The whole purpose of creation, the whole purpose of our lives, the whole purpose of history, it's for the sake of the gospel. This is why Moshe wrote the song and later is confirmed in the book of Revelation. Look, Romans 10, 16, 17 says, However, not all obey the good news. Remember when we started in the parasha today? It says that I will make my reign fall, my doctrine. And we tie that into the teacher of righteousness. They did not receive him. This is exactly the same thing in here. He said, however, they did not obey the good news. What is the good news? The center and the foundation of the good news is the Mashiach himself. They did not obey him, meaning they did not receive him. They did not obey the good news for Yeshiahu, that is Isaiah says, Hashem, who has believed our report? So then belief comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of Elohim. Isaiah 53, 1 and 5 says, Who has believed what we have heard from us? This is what he's quoting, by the way. To whom has who? The arm of the Lord been revealed. Like I said earlier today, you know what this word is? The seed. The zerah in Hebrew. So the arm of the Lord that has been revealed is talking about the seed of the Messiah, which goes back to the gospel, which goes back to what Abraham says, comes the line of Yeshua. Who has believed the arm, uh, who has believed, uh, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. You know, a lot of these portraits, they make Yeshua like, you know, a Thor-looking God. No. You would have seen him, you probably would have mocked him. He was probably really short. Probably had a really big nose. Like common Jews. I'm just saying. It, 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 he would have not been your typical man that you looked at and say, wow, the Messiah. Not at least the way it's portrayed today. Right? So... To whom has this arm been revealed? Who has, who, he was despised and rejected by men. He goes again, that word rejected. Because in this Torah portion, it says that what? We are to receive the, the early reign, the teacher of righteousness. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from men hide their faces, he was despised and he esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. 
Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are literally healed. This is, the, in a sense, folks, the understanding of this whole song in history. It is salvation through the line in the seed of Abraham. Deliverance through the rock. The rock that fathered us in Egypt. That we have been delivered to turn and what? Go in exile because of our disobedience and then bring us back. Look. Romans 10.89 says, But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him for the dead, you will be saved. We covered this not too long ago. And what is this word here of confess? Do you know that that word confess is also connected to covenant? To assent covenant, literally? So this, this, this declaration is not just you going to church on Sunday saying, I accept Jesus and that's it. And I'm done and over and I'm saved. Oh, it can only be that simple, right? No. When it says, when you confess, you are confessing, you are assenting to covenant. And what does that mean? Passover. That goes back to the song in Exodus chapter 15. The deliverance from Egypt. Now stepping into the wilderness. So look. Revelation 19.10 says, Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I am your fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Yeshua. Worship God, he says. For the testimony of Yeshua is the spirit of prophecy. What is the spirit of prophecy, folks? Everything that's been declared from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation. The spirit of prophecy is the song that you read today in Deuteronomy chapter 32. The spirit of prophecy is the one that you read in Exodus chapter 15. The spirit of prophecy is what the prophets Yeshiyahu, Ezekiel, and all the rest of them spoke concerning the coming of the first reign, the Messiah. And what is the re mighty result of all this? That you may walk in obedience. I cannot emphasize that more than what I'm actually emphasizing here today. And how important that is. Revelation 12, 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of the offspring, on those who keep what? The commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Yeshua. And we talked a little bit about this today. And he stood on the sand of the sea. So those who keep the commandments and hold to the testimony is what the song of Moses and that of the Lamb is encouraging us to do. That's the lesson in here that this Idrash is trying to offer us. Is that there's no separation of covenants in here, but rather one covenant. And uniting different people under one God. Under one faith, essentially. We're going to conclude with this, folks. The Gentiles being grafted in into this parasha, in this Idrash. And why do I say that? Because we see that in the, in the Song of Moses, too. We see the evidence of Gentiles being grafted in even in the Song. If you read the whole thing, it's in there. Look. Romans 10, 19 to 20 says, But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have, sworn, I have shown myself to those who did not ask of me. 
let's look at this, folks, because the word jealous is one that we need to understand for this latter days. To understand, to, to understand and put everything and put all the connections together. This spider web needs to kind of come and meet together so we can understand what the Father is relating. The word there for jealous is parazelo. And it literally means to simulate, right? To stimulate, but what? Alongside. You know what that means? It's not you there and me over here and I'm going to make you jealous. It's stimulating alongside with them. That means that you're walking with them. Same covenant. That's what it means alongside. You under the same covenant. We're walking the Torah. We have that understanding. That is stimulating them now to jealousy. Because why? Because now you're a foreign nation. At least under their eyes. See, we don't stimulate and we don't... We're not going to fulfill this alongside with them. So you see, it means to excite, to provoke, to emulation. We're not going to do that, folks, when we're telling the Jewish people that Jesus did away with the law. I'm sorry, you're not provoking anybody to jealousy. I'm, I'm just letting you know right now, you're a fool to think that you are provoking the Jewish people by preaching that Jesus is salvation, but yet he allows you to eat pork and follow whatever you want at the end of the day, as long as you have faith and whatever that means. It doesn't work that way, folks. Because you see, you're no longer now alongside. You are now in the other side of the fence. When Romans, Paul talked in Romans that we are to provoke him to jealousy, it meant alongside. This is how you will provoke. And that word jealousy is not necessarily in a bad context either. It's stimulating them to get up and want to now receive. That's the idea. When they see the Gentiles are actually picking up Hazal and reading Hazal, but yet they're making the connection with the Messiah. And that they're, they're taking foundations that the sages of Israel wrote of old. And they are tying that with Yeshua and that it actually makes sense. Imagine that. That's when you're going to drive him to jealousy alongside with them. This is part of Moses' song because part of Moses' song is that we need to return back, remember? Moses' song doesn't keep us in exile. Moses' song gets us back, brings us back to the land. That's the ultimate goal of everything. Look, how is Hashem going to make them jealous? How? Genesis 12, 3. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And when it's talking about in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, families of the earth, folks, it's not just talking about the, the, uh, the Jewish nation. That's why it says, oh, kol ha-mishpatim. I mean, I'm sorry, mishpah. All of them, mishpaha, all of them, will be now part of this covenant with Abraham. But it says, in you, in you, Abraham, Abraham, symbolic of also a type of shadow of the Mashiach. We'll cover that this year in Genesis to see how is Abraham a prefigure of the Messiah. Look, Shadows of Messiah, volume 1 says, all the families of the earth find blessing in Abraham. In that, within the faith of Abraham, all mankind can find salvation in the knowledge of the Lord. In Abraham. Okay? What does it mean all the families of the earth will be blessed? In, in Abraham. The Talmud. Actually, this is amazing because in the Jewish writing, 
the Talmud explains that this refers to Gentiles being grafted into Abraham. Amazing. Now, we have to begs the question, if that is true, then we have a problem. We've got a big problem today. Very big problem. I mean, your mind should be going 100 miles per hour right now. Because we have been commanded to spread the good news. The Besorah, the gospel. We have been commanded to share this gospel, this great news. For the last 1,500 years, have we done that? And according to scripture, that is. Because again, we're defining what the good news is. So my question to you today is, what news have we been spreading for the last 1,500 years? This is not to be negative. This is to drive us alongside with them to restore what has been lost. You understand this? It's not for you to walk out of here angry today. That Richard, he's always making us feel bad. It's not for that. It's so that we can recognize it and see it now and get on our knees and teshuvah, repent. And now, guess what? We have a big, big task ahead of us. If you thought that sharing the gospel was problematic when Paul's days, imagine today. Because now we have 1,500 years of damage control that we need to do. That's worse. Because now there's all these walls that you're going to have to tackle. 1,500 years of indoctrination. Now, so those who are being, the Talmud says that this refers to the Gentiles being grafted in. Romans eleven seventeen says, but if some of the branches were broken off, and you through a wild olive shoe were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing of the root of the olive tree, do not be what? Arrogant towards the branches. Yeah, we witnessing that today. You see, why is this important? Because the Son of Moses says that Israel will receive redemption in the latter days. And either you're going to be part of that redemption, or you're not. Are you going to be a cause for speeding that redemption, or are you going to be the one who's coming against it? This is very important, folks. It says, do not be arrogant towards the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I may be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because they're unbelief. But you stand fast through faith, it says. By the way, stand, amat, stand encouragement. So, the matter of all things, do not become proud, but fear. If we want to be a part of the Song of Moses and that of the Lamb, symbolically one and the same for the latter days, we need to understand that the purpose, now I'm going to revisit that question here in a minute. We need to understand the purpose from the beginning to the end. Now, I'm going to revisit this question. Do we live in an orderly world or in a disorderly world? We live in an orderly world. You know why we live in an orderly world? Because he still has control. As crazy as it looks out there, it's still all in his hands. 
So when I look at the world and I get up in the morning and I read the newspaper and I see how much chaos there is in the world, I say, what a wonderful orderly world we live in. Because my Mashiach still has control. And everything that we see happening in the world, folks, think for not one minute that he is not aware or that he is not approving of it. So what is the purpose from the beginning to the end? Why do we live in such a disorderly world as a lot of people like to think? To drive people to come back to him. That is the, it sense, the song of Moshe. That through a foolish nation, Israel will be redeemed back. And not just back as Israel, but now we're coming with an extra family. You have to see the project. I call it enter into the works of Adonai. Enter into the works of Adonai. Stop worrying about how ugly the world looks and understand that that ugliness is exactly prescribed by God. How can that be? Because we live in a world where man has the choice to make a decision whether good or bad. And it is only through that that Hashem works, folks. You thought he had it easy, right? You thought he's in heaven just sitting there looking at us and moving things around now. That's what makes him God. That even the most toughest situation, he himself cannot break his own law. He himself cannot go against his own divine hedge in who he is. Have you ever considered or ever thought, how can I convince this person that God exists? Have you ever tried to minister to people and you're like, hmm, what angle can I come with to get them to understand the revelation of Jesus and the Torah and all these things? Guess what? The Heavenly Father has to do the same thing. Because just as you preach to that person and they have a choice to say no to you, they have a choice to say no to him too. He doesn't have it any easier than you do. That's what makes him God. So this whole world, as chaotic as it looks, folks, it is the prescription and the song of Moses to bring Israel back. And not only Israel, but now a new grafted-in family that at the end we will say, Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he will establish his kingdom here on the earth. So the gospel, we're going to finalize with this. The gospel, it is the essential key ingredient and the foundation for understanding the Son of Moses and that of the Lamb. And that is, the good news is that you no longer have to walk in the authority that you've been walking all your life. You choose today who you're going to submit to. As a matter of fact, tomorrow morning when you wake up, you choose who you're going to submit to. The realities of this life or his reality. Because there is a such thing. There's the realities of this life and there's his realities. There's the realities of this kingdom and there's his kingdom. If we want to proclaim the good news, folks, side note, if you want to be successful at proclaiming the good news, let's put it that way, then you need to live in his kingdom. You need to decide every morning, I get up today and I refuse to surrender to my flesh and I refuse to surrender to the power of darkness. I'm going to be rather very unorthodox today and I'm going to do everything uncommon rather than common. And that's, folks, is how we defeat 
That's how we defeat the power of darkness. That's how joy comes into our lives. And essentially, we can sing the song of the Lamb, folks, and that of Moses, because we have been redeemed. Remember, redemption comes with the understanding that you have been delivered from one kingdom to another. So guess what? Walk it. Seriously, walk it. Be bold about your God. Don't be afraid. Don't fear. Fear. If you're going to fear, fear the one who is in heaven. That's it. You know, if it comes down to it, folks, if you have to lose everything in this life or lose him, let it be the choice that you're more afraid of losing him than everything in this life. That's what I'm talking about. It's about him. He comes first and he is the center of all. So I'll leave you that. Amen. Sim Lechon